Good morning, everybody. My name is Andre. I'm one of the pastors here. It's a joy this morning to bring you uh, this message. Uh, Leonard is out of town at a previous uh, scheduled engagement. He'll be back next week. Uh, I just want to say before we get started, uh, some of you know this, but I've grown up in this church. Uh, I've known many of you for 15 to 20 years. You've known me that long. Um, And I've experienced firsthand here at East Parkway the grace and wisdom and uh, just the love and faithfulness uh, of God and the fellowship that we have together. Um, I've grown in my knowledge of God and my um, appreciation for him, my faith in him, uh, not only from the teaching of God's word, not just from the hours and hours and hours of sermons that I've heard here at this church, probably more so from uh, just seeing all of you live your lives in a steadfast, committed relationship to God, um, seeing you uh, not just in the highs and the celebrations and the joys of life, but probably more so the difficulties and pain and challenges that all of you have gone through, and seeing you in your faith committed to God has taught me so much. And so I just want to say thank you. Um, as we were in this passage this morning, or, or and I was in this passage this week, studying, uh, just seeing uh, the kingdom of God, what Jesus wanted the kingdom of God to look like, I was Uh, God impressed upon me that I've seen that here at this church. I've seen you guys be the kingdom of God, be his love, um, and I'm just very thankful. So thank you uh, for all that. That's why I love this church. That's why I love all of you dearly, and all of you are very close to me. I consider you family because of um, all that you've done for me. So be encouraged. I said that all as an encouragement. Hopefully you are encouraged. I know that God is proud because when this happens, his kingdom is happening. Um, and again, like I said, I think that's the heart of our message, message this morning. So let me go ahead and pray, uh, and then we'll dive into our, our passage. God, thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you for your goodness and your love. Um, we know that you work in wondrous ways. Uh, some of them are a mystery to us, and, uh, but all the more reason to praise you, to give you the glory. And so this morning, as we gather and we um, look in your word, I pray that you would give clarity to us, that you would open up this word to us. Um, we would be encouraged, we would be drawn closer to you. Um, and as we leave this morning, we would uh, feel uh, more inspired and motivated to give you everything we have and to um, do work for your kingdom. We give this time to you, Lord, um, and it's with thankfulness and joy that we pray. Amen. You want to open up your Bibles? We're in the same passage as last week. I'm continuing the the series, Uncommon. Uh, We're going to be in Matthew 5, 21 uh, through 48. Last week, uh, Pastor Leonard spoke about why this passage matters to God. And this week, um, I'm speaking on why this passage matters to us. Why is it important to us? And so just as uh, for some context uh, here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is addressing a huge crowd, a big, um, big amount of people, and it's full of religious leaders, religious elite people that saw themselves as blameless uh, in the eyes of the law. They thought that they were so great at upholding the law. And Jesus has said he's, in the Sermon on the Mount, look, you've got it wrong. You've, you've missed the point, and you're missing the heart of God. Jesus is saying that we should love, believe, and obey from the heart, not love, believe, and obey because then we will get loved or because then we will attain a certain level of righteousness. That was the Pharisees' thought. And um, 
Pastor Leonard last week mentioned the importance, the value that God places on relationships. He mentioned that God's first idea for people back in the garden was to create them in his image. And so humanity has this very special relationship with God that the rest of creation doesn't. Humanity is set apart because we are made in God's image. And being made in God's image is its just the coolest thing. I mean, it means everything. Um, and on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is kind of pulling that back to the surface. And we can, and this is what Pastor Leonard said last week, we can kind of read our passage this way. Because you are made in the image of God, don't hate others. Because you are made in the image of God, don't demean the opposite sex. Don't divorce without a cause. Don't manipulate with words and oaths. Don't make it about your rights, but about the kingdom. And love your enemies. You see, the, the, the law uh, in the Old Testament had all of this there, but it got misconstrued. And so this, there's this pattern in the Old Testament. Somewhere along the way, over the years, the heart of God in the law was lost. And there's this cycle, and I'm sure you're familiar with it. In the Old Testament, there's a cycle of God loving his people, and so he gives them certain rules and parameters to operate in, hoping that they will be who they are supposed to be, uh, made in his image, co-workers, partners with God. But they rebel, they choose their own wisdom, and they make it about themselves, and they turn away from God. So God continues to love them, gives them more rules, more parameters to operate in, hoping that they will be who they were created to be, made in the image of God, co-workers, partners with him. But they rebel again, they choose their own wisdom, they turn away from God. And so God gives them, and the cycle continues. And the cycle, they, This happens all throughout the Old Testament. And if you were to read the Bible uh, straight through, and you come to this point in the Sermon on the Mount, the cycle has continued up to this point. The people have made it about themselves. And what does Jesus do? Does he add more rules? Does the cycle continue? No. The few verses before our passage in verse uh, 17, he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. And so this is the end of that cycle. And I think this is just incredible. Um, and so while in our passage we have topics like anger, lust, divorce, oaths, retaliation, and loving our enemies, he's still getting back to the very beginning of being made in the image of God, partners with God for his kingdom. And if that uh, doesn't stir something in you, being partners with God, I just think that that phrase right there is so meaningful and so exciting and brings so much life. If that doesn't pump you up, then we should talk afterwards about how that is the coolest thing. And I'm trusting that you guys are uh, reading the Sermon on the Mount as Pastor Leonard has requested and asked and encouraged you know, daily or as often as possible. You continue to read. Um, but in your reading, one could think, coming to uh, especially these passages, our passage this morning, that Jesus made the law very difficult. He's saying things like in verse 29 and 30 about gouging your eyes out and cutting off your hand if you mess up in this way, talking about giving up your tunic and your cloak, which I think translates to like shirt and jacket. I don't know if we still have tunics today. Women have tunics. Men no longer have tunics. We should bring back manly tunics so we can give them away. Um, but is Jesus coming here trying to make it harder, trying to make it more difficult? I don't think so. What is he trying to do in our passage? He's not trying to make it harder. I think he's trying to make it clearer. We see throughout 21 through 48 this phrase, you've heard it said, but I say. Jesus is saying, you've heard it said, but I say. He says that in verse 21, 27, 31, 33, 38, 43. 
And he's saying, I know you've been operating under this understanding of the law, your understanding of the law, but let me shed some light on what this really means. Let me shed some light on what, how my kingdom actually works. And this is a crucial part to the story here because when he's saying, but I say, this is a statement of authority. This is not just another rabbi saying, hey, here's my take on the law. This is God saying, this is my law and here's what I mean when I say this. He has the authority to do so because he is God and, and I just think that's incredible. The one who wrote the law is now coming down and clarifying it. He's explaining, here's what this looks like. Here's my heart behind this. He's reiterating, here's what my kingdom is about, and this is what it means for you to be in my kingdom. And I just, just that image of the author coming down to explain, I think is, is incredible. I, I think of it as if, uh, if I got time with Tolkien. Okay. Here's my one Lord of the Rings reference. Every sermon, there's at least one. But my favorite, Middle Earth, you guys are familiar with Lord of the Rings movies? I'm getting some... Okay, you guys know, yeah. By now, you guys know what I'm talking about. It's great. But if I, Tolkien's the author, if I got like a weekend away at Tahoe and just got to pick his brain about everything, and he just got to explain, yeah, this character, here's what he meant, here's his heart, here's the motivation, and clarify everything, that would be incredible. And this is... This Sermon on the Mount is like that times infinity. God, the author, the one who wrote it, is coming down and clarifying, this is what it looks like. He's, he's wanting to get his people point, pointed back in the right direction. Uh, you've probably heard of this, uh, this imagery before, but uh, you know, if you're just one or two degrees off of your point at the very beginning, you've set off to a destination and you're just one or two degrees off, before you know it, that distance between you and that destination is really far. You're miles off, even though it was just a degree or two at the beginning. And I think that's what's happened here uh, to the Israelites, to the people that he's speaking to. They just had a couple things... Um, a couple misunderstandings about the law, and now they are so far from the heart of God, farther than they realized. Where did they go wrong? Well, well, they went wrong with what the law was about. In their minds, the law had become about their righteousness and about them. The cycle that we had talked about in the Old Testament had happened. Their eyes had been drawn away from God, where the law was supposed, supposed to point them, and their eyes became focused on themselves, how good they were, how righteous they could be. And I just imagine these Pharisees being on this pedestal, you know, living life and just thinking, man, I have not messed up in the eyes of the law in like three years. God loves me so much. Like, I, God loves me so much more than that guy and that guy and that guy because I am just near perfect with how I live out this law. And... Uh, Jesus is saying, that's not the point of the law. You've got it all wrong. If you're looking at yourself, if you're trying to boost your own righteousness and who you are, you've got it mistaken. He's trying to get people uh, to see this important distinction. It's not about the rules. It's about God's kingdom. It's not about them. It's about God. Last week, Pastor Leonard told us that these teachings, these clarifying messages about the law, reveal what God feels about our hearts. That it's not about our own righteousness, but it's about our heart, and it's about the value um, that we place on being his. And it's also about relationships, and our relationship with God and with others. So what is Jesus doing here? He's not rewriting the law, he's clarifying the law. And what is Jesus teaching? Uh, and now we're getting to you know, the point of today's sermon. 
what does this mean? How does this, why does this passage matter to us? He's teaching the true law, correcting their mistaken thoughts and their selfish hearts, teaching them and reorienting them. He's saying, this is what my kingdom looks like on this earth. He's saying, hey, you are made in the image of God. You're meant to be a partner with me and a co-worker for my kingdom. And so when these situations arise in my kingdom, here's how we handle them. You've been handling them in this way. Here's how I want you to do it. And this was a major shift for the people at the time. And so as you read, as we read this today, I want to ask us some similar questions. Do we need Jesus to reorient us? Have we been approaching his word, his law, in the right way? Or are we looking at his word as a way to measure our own righteousness? Do we look at our obedience to God's word as a measure of God's love? Do we think the more I do, the more I obey, the more I live according to his rules, the more love I will feel from him? It's a very legalistic thought, and I've certainly struggled with this, but I don't think that's what Jesus intended. And I think this is what he's addressing with the Pharisees' interpretation of the law and how they lived it out. Legalism in our faith measures our own righteousness but by how much we follow God's law. And that's a very heavy burden to bear because no matter how hard we try, we will always end up messing up. We will always fail. It's not possible to follow God's law perfectly. Growing up uh, in church, uh, it was hard coming to a passage like this because I had heard things like, it's by grace alone. Your salvation is by grace alone. But then I would read a passage like this that said, hey, if you do this, you still have to gouge your eye out and cut off your hand. And just, I was, as a kid, I was like, I don't understand. God loves me and it's totally by grace alone, but I might have one hand and I might have one eye. I, what does this mean? It's a, it, was a, it was a lot to comprehend. And I think Jesus takes these legalistic thoughts and is trying to free the people there on the, mount, on the mountain. And he's trying to free us today from these legalistic thoughts that in order to have God's love, to feel God's love, to know God's love, you have to do something. You have to be at a certain level of righteousness. It's about being made in his image, and the measurement of our righteousness is Jesus, the perfecter of our faith. If the measurement of righteousness is us, we fail. But if our measurement is Christ, then we can have true life. So again, why is this important? Why is this passage, why does it matter to me? These words are important because they give us a different measurement of God's heart. A different measurement of God's love for us. Jesus is talking to a bunch of people who felt loved because they kept the rules. That's how they thought they got God's love. And maybe you've had similar thoughts, like I just shared, I have, that if I keep all of God's love, then I get God's love. All, all of his laws. If I, if I live the best Christian life, then I get God's love. If I just do this, then I will receive God's love. And Jesus wants us to be free of that thought. And he wants us to be, have the right motivation for obeying him and living according to his word. We should be living according to his word because God loves us. God gave us the law because he loves us. And somehow this got turned into do this so that you get love so that you can measure your own righteousness. God's love is not based on what we do. It's Jesus' righteousness that counts before the eyes of God. God's love to us is a gift, not based on anything that we've done. 
The other part of our passage this morning, he's emphasizing the importance of relationships, of peace uh, between each other and then also uh, between God and the eyes of God, um, that horizontal and that vertical aspect of relationship. The love that comes from him should flow through us. And I think this is all throughout our passage this morning. There's a focus of God's love and peace that should be prevalent in our lives. So Jesus is saying, your goal, if you're in my kingdom, your goal is, in moments of anger, your goal should be peace and love. In moments of lust, there should be love for your brothers and sisters. Do not be selfish in those moments. Divorce, oaths, may there be peace and love. Um, In retaliation, when you're tempted to retaliate, there should be love. This is how it works in my kingdom. When, there's, uh, when you're faced with your enemies, there should be love. Also, I think, as I was thinking about this passage, I don't think it's very common anymore to, be, to have enemies today. I don't, maybe you guys consider that you do have enemies. I don't think it's common that we have enemies in our day-to-day lives. Um, there's a lot of people we don't agree with, but that's different. They're not our enemies. And... Uh, I remember reading this in grade school, like first or second grade, and seeing God wants us to love our enemies, and my mind always just going to this one other classmate. We're talking like first, second grade, and I was like, God's, God wants me to love that guy. We're enemies. We always competed, like how, who's the fastest on the playground? Who's got better grades? Who, does, who do the teachers like more? Who's got the better, pe- like everything. Did not like each other, and as a kid, I was like, that's my enemy, and God wants me to love him. And... Uh, you got to be careful. I think I went to grade school with some people here, and they might know who, exactly who I'm talking about. I wish him all the best. I won't say his name. I'm sure he's, he's great. Um, but looking back, that was not an enemy. That was not an enemy of mine. And like I said, I, don't, I don't, can't think of any enemies that I have today. But if someone considers me an enemy, God has told me, because I'm a part of his kingdom, this is what your response should be. It should be one of love, the love that I have. He's letting us know that seeking peace and holiness in our relationships is very important. I also want to address uh, our desire. Where should our desire to live these lives, according to God's word, come from? It's not to be seen as righteous. It's not anything selfish. That was the Pharisees' problem. Sometimes that's our problem. Our desire should come from God's love for us. It should come from our delight in him, in being his, our joy in knowing him, and the love that we receive from him. It doesn't come based on our performance. It's, or, sorry, I should back up. How do we receive God's love? It doesn't come from our performance. It's a gift. It's not by obeying him. That's the Pharisees thought. It's just God loves us, and we should then love out of that love. They thought, the Pharisees thought the more obedient they were to the law, the more loved they were by God. And God doesn't operate in that way. I think of my daughter, Kinsley, who's one and a half years old. Um, and she doesn't have these thoughts yet, I don't think. But I don't ever want her to have this thought that this fear that uh, when she wakes up in the morning, um, the worry that the love that she'll feel for me that day is based on how good she is. I love her no matter what. And I want her to know that, that she is loved no matter what. That's the kind of love that God gives to us, right? No matter what we do, we know that we are loved by him. And I think that capability in us, the capability to love someone else no matter what, is because we are made in the image of God. That's an image of God thing in all, all of humanity. We can love others no matter what they do to us 
because that's God in us. That's um, something that sets us apart. But he models that for us. He's, he's loved us, and in this Bible, there's story after story of how no matter what we do, God loves us. And like I said at the beginning, East Parkway, you have modeled that love to me. Uh, not necessarily that I've messed up a ton and that you've loved me, but just in your own lives, that you have modeled this love, that you love the people in your life no matter what they do. And I think that's amazing. And that's the kind of love that I want my daughter to know from me. From Becky and I both want that for her, that she, her parents love her no matter what she does. And hopefully out of that love, she will be motivated to obey and to live the right way, not out of fear. And I think God wants the same for us today, to be obeying out of love, not out of fear. These rules about anger, lust, divorce, oaths, retaliation, and, and our enemies We should be obeying those rules, following God's law and his word out of love. He's not trying to make it harder for, to be a follower of him. It's about seeing him more clearly, seeing his kingdom more clearly, and seeing that we're loved greatly by God, and that he is going to be our righteousness in the eyes of God, that Christ will be our righteousness. And so, I want to close with this. What if those of us here at East Parkway, the 70-something of us that call this place home, what if we were people who did not live following God's rules in order to feel loved, but we kept his rules and his laws and followed his word because of his love and because he loves us and because we love him? What would that change? Would there be more joy in our lives in doing what God has called us to do? Maybe there'd be less dragging our feet or less resistance or less fear. Would there be a deeper desire to be closer to him instead of sometimes just doing the required Christian practices? Would there be freedom from the legalism that can creep into our faith and even creep into our churches? I would love for this to be true of us. I know it is uh, generally, but just as further encouragement to continue to be acting out of the love that God has given us, not out of fear. Maybe some of you have felt trapped by, by legalism, and if you really dig down into your heart, you'd see that your faith is based on fear, fear of messing up, fear of losing God's love, fear of ruining your relationship with God, losing that righteousness that you think you might have attained. And I think God would say, I don't want you to worry about that burden anymore. I want you to be motivated by the love that I have for you. So what if we became more secure in our love for God because we better understood his love for us? How would that change how we read these words in the Sermon on the Mount? Hopefully we would see that Jesus is our righteousness and that he has called us to be partners and co-workers for his kingdom. Hopefully we would see more clearly how much God loves us and how loving and gracious the gift of his son Jesus is to us, that he is our righteousness and that we can serve together for his glory. That's what I got. Let's pray. God, thank you again for for your word that you have um, given us your word to follow and that you're not trying to make it harder for us to be in your kingdom, but you're just trying to clarify what it means for us to be your partners and your co-workers as we strive for your glory together. God, I pray that you would um, empower us as a church here at East Parkway, encourage us, uh, and that we would, if we have any sense of 
of a burden of trying to attain things on our own, that you would free us from that. And that you would open our eyes to see that Jesus is now our righteousness. And that your gift of love is a free gift. And that our hearts would start to change to be motivated by that love, not by trying to be the best that we can be on our own strength. God, we know that you are good. And we know that you have good things for us, even in the difficulties of life. Um, encourage us. Uh, use us, Lord. Use this church. Use every one of us uh, for your kingdom. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.